If you're thinking about getting involved in anything in the rescue community um, and you don't think you can make a dent, I assure you, you can. So foster, adopt, volunteer, advocate, educate, even if it's going down to a rescue and walking dogs, if it's fostering, whatever the case is, if you want to make a difference, do it. If it's not animal related, if there's a cause that you are passionate about, get involved, you can make a difference. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome back, listeners. As always, Steve Wopolinik hosting the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. Episode 55 today with Alex from Barbells for Bullies. This one is really awesome. We're really excited to have Alex on and talk more about Barbells for Bullies, which is a nonprofit that helps raise money for bully breed dogs and works on education regarding bully breeds and helps fund uh, resources for those dogs and you know the hope to get them to their forever homes and destigmatize uh, pit bulls and other bully dog breeds. We are super excited to have Alex on because the Promethean Project formed a team for the May fundraiser for Barbells for Bullies, which is sit-ups for pups, and the goal is to raise money for the organization by doing as many sit-ups as possible during the month of May. And we are kicking some butt. So we put the donation link in the show notes if you're interested in donating to an awesome cause and helping our team out with our sit-ups for the month. Feel free to uh, donate whatever you want. So without further ado, here's Alex. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. Thank you guys for your support. You're wearing barbells for bullies gear. And I was just saying to my wife this morning, like it's still kind of crazy to me where I'll be at like yesterday we were at a USAW meet. And usually for CrossFit events, like I'll announce and I'll just talk about like while we're there and stuff, but I was just kind of low key and it was just weird. I'm like, people are wearing our stuff and like they're tagging us. I don't think they know like I'm here. This is weird because we're very behind the scenes and that's kind of by design where we want it to be about the mission and the cause, not about us personally. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's still, it's still a bug out to see people like wearing our stuff. And like, we were out hiking a couple months ago and we saw somebody and they were like, oh, nice shirt to my wife. She had as many rescues as possible shirt on. And she's like, oh, you too. Um, and they're like, oh, we love them. It's like, yeah, that's, that's us. Uh, it's just so <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my only comment. I don't have any questions. Thanks for sending over those baseline 
questions. Um, but yeah, we just have a conversation. Just sometimes when I do podcasts, they have like a very deep, thoughtful question. And I'm like, um, I wish I would have heard this beforehand so I could string right. together a sentence or two. Uh, but I'll do the best I can. So, but well, yeah, we'll just uh, we'll have a conversation, keep it going. Kaylin gave me some flack this morning because she was our first guest on our very first podcast. And she was like, I wish I had some questions for, <laughs> for that episode. And no idea what to expect. <laughs> yeah. yeah was, no. uh, John Woolley's podcast, Make Wads Great Again, which was a lot of fun, but we didn't have any questions beforehand. And he just like would throw me some curveballs or like, what's your favorite ice cream? And then followed up with like a deep question about like, oh, why start this? I'm like, so off balance. It was, uh, so that's why I was like, all right, from now on, we'll ask for questions beforehand. We are honored to have you on here, Alex, and, and especially talk about your company, Barbells for Bullies. So we're really excited to talk today. And uh, Caitlin's joining us. She's been on the podcast a couple of times uh, in different avenues, but, you know, we felt we, we both really love your organization and wanted to talk to you more about that. I actually heard from you. I got this from Highly. And I had seen, uh, I had written a couple articles for Highly, so I was going through t-shirts because I'm a huge t-shirt guy. And I saw it and I was really taken by it. And then I looked into it more. So that's how I was introduced. And then I brought that to Caitlin and kind of talked to her about that as well. So nice. this is kind of one of those cool moments where somehow we found out about you in the ether and then solidified this, uh, this meeting today. So we're really excited to get going. Um, so before we get started with our questions and conversation, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about barbells for bullies. All right, that's a loaded question. Um, all right, well, I'm a Scorpio. I like long walks on the beach. Um, Love it. But for real. Uh, yeah, so barbells for bullies, I'll, I'll get into that because I kind of don't like talking about myself. You can ask questions and we'll wheedle that out. Mm -hmm. uh, but we started in 2016. June 12th will be five years since our first competition. I got the idea back in 2014 when I went to adopt our, our two current dogs or both bully mixes after I lost my first, he was like Mastiff and I think American Pitbull Terrier, we don't know, but he was like 115 pounds of just snuggle bear. Um, but we started in 2016, about five years ago. Initially, it was just we were going to do one competition in Atlanta, maybe turn it into a yearly, yearly thing. And then when I was reaching out to sponsors, and then once we started to get out there, you know, in social media world where the world is now flat, as Thomas Friedman would say, we noticed it was, wasn't just a problem in Atlanta because the South does have it bad specifically with bully breeds, but it, it was national. And there's like kind of this epidemic. And I, I don't really want to use that term, but it, it's a problem everywhere. Yeah. So then the more we looked into it, we had more and more gyms reaching out. So we started in 2016 with two events we did, both in Atlanta. 2017, we did like eight. 2018, we did 11 or 12. And we just started growing from there because there was a need that we were serving. And a lot of people don't know this. The whole organization is primarily my wife and I. And she's kind of uh, down for the count now on baby duty. But yeah, like we're not this huge organization. We're volunteer-based. I don't pay myself. But our whole purview is to you to leverage fitness to raise money and awareness for animal rescues with a specific emphasis on bully breeds. And that's why we're barbells for bullies. And I wanted the name to kind of call out the, the problems surrounding them, you know, with their adoption rates, they're euthanized far more than any other dog, second only to Labradors and Chihuahuas, and really just kind of start the conversation. And I would love it if five years from now, we had to uh, rebrand because pit bulls were treated like any other dog. And we'll get to this, but there's no such thing as a pit bull. It's a blanket term. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where 
what Barbells for Boys is and what we do. Uh, and I'll probably back up a bit. We host CrossFit weightlifting, powerlifting, and any outside-the-box fitness events. Kind of the, the talking point I use is if it's about fitness and community that rallies around rescue, we want to be a part of it. So really doesn't matter. As long as it's marrying the two, we're all about it. Yeah, that's awesome. I th- and, it, and I think it's a very cool and, and very cool concept that you don't see those two married together too often, you know, talking about fitness and, and the mission for, you know, bully breeds, bringing awareness and education around that. Where do you think those two kind of crossed for you where you're, you're like, oh, I got this idea. We're going to use this, like the passion for fitness and, um, you know, why use that to bring the education it's a good question. So we'll kind of go on a bit of a Sunday drive here. So I found CrossFit in 2012. Uh, I was kind of in a dark period. I was out of college. The job market was garbage. I just got out of a bad relationship. And my brother-in-law and sister just introduced me to CrossFit. And I threw up like three times in my first workout and <laughs> instant love, like fell in love with it. Uh, I was like super into fitness. I boxed competitively in high school. And then like in college, I just was kind of a hooligan and kind of fell away from it. Then started to come back and did a few CrossFit competitions. I eventually moved to Atlanta in 2013 to help care- take care of my father before he passed. And my then girlfriend, now wife and my pit bull, we all just jumped in the car and drove down there. Um, so I fundraised for barbells for boobs. I lost my mother to breast cancer. There's a lot of information when I was nine. So that was close to me. And I, instead of just doing like, oh, I'm raising money, me being kind of a glutton for punishment, I, ra- I would do one rep for every dollar. And fortunately, I had a lot of generous people in my life. So every year I'd raise $2,000, $3,000. So it'd be an hour and a half long beat down of a workout um, where I would do like, you know, 100 pull-ups and like 100 bodyweight squats or something like that. Um, so then ultimately... My uh, my first pit bull chops, he just out of nowhere became sick. What happened was he perforated a small intestine. It was like a freak thing. Um, we took him to the UGA vet hospital, spent thousands of dollars we didn't have trying to save him. He didn't make it. I was crushed. So the only respite I found was in the gym. So I would just turn like, you know, one hour sessions to 90 minute beat down just because going home and not seeing him was really tough. And then after about two months, I looked at my then girlfriend, now wife, and was like, I think it's time to, you know, go find another buddy. Let's go adopt. So we went to a local Atlanta shelter and I just couldn't help but be baffled and kind of just heartbroken by seeing how many pit bulls were in there every single run. And the ones that weren't pit bulls that were, you know, shepherd or lab mixes were already adopted. So I was like, there, what, what is this? This I'm originally from New Jersey. So I'm like, that, this not, it's not like that up there. What's going on? So I did some looking into it and saw that, oh, wow, there's a huge problem, like, you know, with bully breeds. So I thought about it for about a year or so, and I was like, hey, I got an idea. Let's, you know, we pay to do CrossFit competitions. We pay like a hundred bucks to go and just beat ourselves down. And that money doesn't go anywhere. Like it's going towards the competition, but it's not going to our charitable cause. Why don't we just try doing, you know, something for charity? Uh, So we put on our first event and we ended up donating like $3,000 and I just kind of took off from there. And people have made the kind of what what's the word more for comparison between fitness types or weightlifters or meatheads and what have you and pit bulls where like they look a certain way but they're actually smart and people and there is that parallel there so i mean that's kind of how it happened man it was kind of by accident but also by design and i just kept my foot on the gas like i just got this crazy idea in my head and ran with it as my wife like whenever we do podcasts together she tells a story like he just said hey i'm gonna do this and she just sat back and was like okay i'm just gonna I'm here, I guess. Um, yeah, it just took off. I mean, 
fortunately, everybody everybody got behind it and we've had a lot of success. And I have no illusions that that's because of the support of people like you and people that love fitness and love helping their community and helping animals in need. And that's awesome. I think, (laughs) no, 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 but it's perfect, right? Like our podcast is usually just about um, people's stories and how they've kind of overcome things and and found passion and found their flame and really work towards breaking free from those shackles of, of things that hold us back. And, you know, your story's perfect for that because you were talking about finding fitness in a way that pulled you free from some darkness and then in turn, using fitness to help other things, further different communities, further more education. I think it's perfect. I think it's the right amount of information to, to really kind of talk about this stuff. You know? I, think I appreciate it's that. And I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. Like you both know how important fitness is just from a mental health sense, from a physical sense. And then also, if we can use that as a force for good, especially in something where community is a huge part of CrossFit, it's a huge part of a lot of athletic communities, but specifically with CrossFit, weightlifting, powerlifting, it's just amazing to me. And that's what drew me initially to CrossFit was like, you know, you'll go there. It doesn't matter if you're deadlifting 300 pounds at the bar, like you have people cheering you on and getting behind you or like, how many burpees you got left, man? Like, I just got done, but I'll do your last 10 with you. And that's remarkable. And every time we do an event, like it's a lot of work, man, especially like for two people and it's completely volunteer based and we both work full time. Like it's a lot of work and there's stress streams, but then we're there on event day and we see people having a good time right here. Like, Hey, six dollars got adopted or I got an email from one person. I'm not going to blow up their spot, but at our New Jersey event, she wrote me this wonderful note and was like, yeah, I adopted this one dog. And it turns out it was at a very dark place in my life. I was drinking too much. Like all like this whole thing about her journey and having this dog really kind of, I didn't even want to go to the event. My friends kind of dragged me, but now like I have this new lease on life and I met somebody new and we're getting married and like, just thank you. And I'm floored by that dude. Cause I'm just like, like, I just kind of walked into it and I'm still, I'm grateful every day when I, uh, you know, open up our Instagram, our emails, and I see like people with stories like that. It's, it's really, it's humbling and remarkable. I just want to say, I'm super excited to be here to talk with you. I don't jump on with the podcast with Steve no. a lot of times, <laughs> <laughs> but he actually introduced me to your organization and I'm an, I'm an ICU nurse at an emergency hospital. So obviously the love for animals is there. And I see a lot of what you're talking about on a daily basis. And so I'm just super excited. I was like, this is like my dream organization. I was like fitness and animals. And so just hearing you talk about it, I'm just like, here, so giddy <laughs> listening to you. So well, thank you for the work you do as well. Cause like, yeah, I mean, I've even spoken to my wife about it. Like obviously we're really close with rescues, like friends of the four Warren, the guy that owns that Jason, very good friend of mine. And I couldn't do like on the daily, what they deal with. And even in like emergency vet offices, like, I mean, we we're putting out actually maybe we could connect offline because we're going to put out something about animal first aid. And I have special first aid kits made up for active people um, because oh, wow. we took our dogs That's out. Awesome. Well, we took our dogs out one day and like we're in like this Facebook group, you know, like all, all other dog people. And somebody was like, oh, my baby got bit by a copperhead. Um because in, in Georgia, it's where I'm, I'm just outside of Atlanta, there's a ton, like, there's not much you can do, really. It's like, you kind of wait it out. And I was just like, I don't know what to do with that. Like, so then I obviously went and like educated myself, but I'm like, we need to put out content for free to people because we have people that trail run or are super active. And if you just know a little bit about like, all right, stay calm, this is what I need to do. Or like, even if it's just like, keep them calm and get to the vet ASAP, that's valuable information. So 
yeah, it's just, I don't know how we got there, but really the, the rescue thing is I'm doing my part of raising money and awareness because it's hard work working on the veterinary field or the, or the rescue field. So thank you for your work because I mean, yeah, it's, it's tough. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that you're making those. I have one for my dogs because we hike all the time. And so I, yeah. I carry it with me. So that's awesome. I'd love to learn more about that. Yeah, I have what's right over the, on the shelf. And then we have two different um one's an airlift by Fido Pro like we're not getting paid I'm not name dropping but like basically it's like a sling you put your dog in so if they break it break a limb or get hurt you can pick them up because one time it also happened I took my one dog uh for like a five mile hike and I remember just being tired and just thinking like randomly like this is a rough course and if he gets hurt like I want to be glad I, I, I'm into fitness because getting him out of here he's 80 pounds like it's going to be a mission but then I saw something like this and I was like this is great this goes in my pack every time where I could just throw them on my back, leave my bag there and start walking. Um, yeah, we digress a little bit. That'll happen a lot. My wife's probably like, rolling her eyes. That's, I think that's all we do on this podcast is a lot of digressing and then circling back around randomly to, to, to kind of get to the right? talking points. Yeah. yeah well, conversations are great. So uh, yeah, let's, let's bring it back in. But I appreciate the support and all your work. That was kind of my long-winded way of saying that. So thank you. Well, thank you. Well, Caitlin, maybe you can speak a little bit on this, but I think it's great that there's organizations putting this education out, right? Because by the time you go to a place like where you work at, uh, an emergency hospital, it's really hard to do some of that educational work around, um, you know, how to manage it or even just understanding what a bully breed is or, or how to care for, for different dogs and temperaments. And I'm sure, you know, back when you had a weight room, you'd have many different dogs in there and you could probably see the tension in the weight room with people coming in with different types of dogs. I'm, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit on that too. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, well, I'll get to that in a second, but it's, we live in the Northeast. So a lot of people up here, they love pit bulls and they love bully breeds. And, um, but that's come a long way and that stigma is still there. There are people I see just outside waiting for their dog and they'll see like, uh, bully breed out there and they'll pull their dog away or they'll immediately just have the stigma behind it and then they <laughs> of course the bully breeds most of them not all of them but they come in and they're just wagging their tail and their big loves and they're jumping around and they're awesome um but we're thankful to be in the northeast where that stigma is kind of declining but still there of course um but then just having that education, I wanted to talk about that too. I love that you have that education part of your organization because it's it's definitely something that isn't talked about a lot. I've had many conversations with people that they're just, they see a bully breed and they're like, no, they're like, that dog is dangerous and I don't want to be near it. And when I see a lot of people come in through emergency, they're just a mess usually like their loved one is hurt and they can't think properly and so the fact that there's organizations like yours out there that have that educational background where they're just going out there and spreading the message is amazing because a lot of times when they come into our office they're not in the right headspace so you can't really educate them at that point you can try but everything's going out the window they just want to make sure that their dog's okay and I totally understand that I'm a mess when I bring my dogs in and I do that on a daily basis um, so I just love that part of your organization and just spreading the message and getting the word out there. 
Well, I appreciate that. And I mean, I, I agree where an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of the cure, right? And a lot of times, like we stopped going to dog parks, for instance, and we never really had an issue because our dogs are super socialized um, almost too much. Like my one dog, Slater, uh, he's 85-ish pounds. If you follow us on Instagram, he's the uh, he's the blue and white one. And then Mox, he's the one that kind of looks like a lab. She's a black one. He would always get in dogs' faces because he's super playful. Um, but whenever a fight would break out, obviously, it's always a pit bull's fault. So we really don't go to dog parks. That and a lot of average owners, there's like an ego involvement where they don't know how to read body language. And like we fostered around about five dogs because I was very, very adamant when we started. Like, we can't just talk about it. We have to be about it. So like when we started, we were fostering. And like we just got done with our most recent foster, who was a 13-year-old dog with a heart murmur mammary masses, liver problems. Like she was at a county shelter. We weren't, weren't ready to foster. We just bought our house a couple of years ago. Like we were like, no, it's just us and the dogs. My wife showed me a picture and I was like, we have to go get her because she's going to die in shelter. Like she was shutting down. We went and got her. Our vet gave her two months. She made it over a year. Um, no. But we were like, we want to talk about it and be about it. But have it from that first foster where like we had to break up fights because, you know, we didn't socialize them right to now. I, I always see a fight before it's about to happen. So that's a big part of education too, is teaching people the warning signs, you know, are they blinking? Are they licking their lips? Watch the body language to just get in the way. Um, because everybody wants to say like, Oh, they're just playing or my dog's nice. Yeah. Your dog's nice until they're not. Um, and then back to the hiking thing, like people are, are running with their dogs off leash and they're like, Oh, he's fine. It's like, yeah, but you don't know if mine, it like, you don't know what's going on over here. Like they could be protective of me. They could be, there could be a myriad of issues because canine aggression is extremely complex. I'm not a behaviorist. I've just read a ton on it. And it's not just like dogs don't bite for one reason. You, I'm, pre I'm preaching to the choir again. Like there's multiple reasons, but we like to ascribe like, oh, it's because they're mean or, oh, it's because they're scared. It's like, no, there's a bunch of reasons why we have to talk about context. Now, specifically about bully breeds, what's, I don't want to use the term interesting, but I don't really have the words right now. What's interesting about them is they're kind of the boogeyman right now, but they're temperamentally like on, for the temperament test, you know, they've got an 87%. They're, they're one of the nicest dogs second only to golden retrievers, which is, you know, your archetypal family dog. They're extremely intelligent. Um, boy breeds encompass over 35 breeds. Pit bulls are slapped there short, shorthand, but everybody calls something a pit bull because they have morphological features that make it look a certain way. When all dogs are individuals, just because a dog looks like stocky, muscular, blocky head doesn't mean they're mean. And to your point, it's usually quite the opposite. Like some of the meanest quote unquote like toughest looking dogs are giant wusses like slater is afraid of everything um not thunder but like he'll fold like a wet napkin if something pops off like if, if somebody breaks in the house we'll show them where the fridge is at like um but yeah it's for us i'll back it up a little bit education is a big part of it because to your point that's really where i came from when i started like because when i had chops he was 115 pounds big dog and we'd be out at the park and people would pick up their kids and like walk the other way or put daylight between us when meanwhile he just wanted to love on you so i saw that and that's really what got me interested in bully breeds and the more i dug the more i uncovered the more i was like all right we need to educate about this so that's really why we like to put information out there and yes we raise money but also just kind of used kind of the, the horrifying statistics of 1.2 million 
million pit bull type dogs or 1.2 million dogs every year are euthanized uh, according to best estimates by the ASPCA, depending on what data set you look at. And I've looked at a couple of them. Um, it could be higher, it could be lower, but either way, that's a lot. Um, but most of them are pit bulls. And there's a lot of shelters that won't adopt out a pit bull type dog. They're talked about poorly in the media. And I did a, for, in graduate school for fun, fun is a term we're gonna use loosely. <laughs> I pulled every news article from 1980 on that referenced dog bite or attack and then ran and wrote an algorithm that read everything and then topic modeled it and whenever the word pitbull appears in news articles the word aggressive vicious crime drug dealer always co-appears co but then like dog and other things appear and there's no breed mention and karen delise wrote a book called the pitbull placebo which talks about kind of how in the 20s german shepherds came over and were like terrorizing neighborhoods but then because they were an elitist type dog um, they had pedigree papers. Hollywood waged a Rin Tin Tin campaign, which made them like friendly again. Um, then you had the Rottweilers and Dobermans, like all these dogs were villainized. But for some reason with pit bulls, it just stuck. And there's a lot of, you know, racial and criminal elements that go to that, which is why it stuck. But right. I mean, we could talk for, for days about that. But ultimately, they're the underdog when... If you rewind back to the 20s, I mean, they were the, they were America's mascot in, in war posters and uh, war recruitment posters because they were the embodiment of toughness and steadfastness and, and American pluck. I mean, there were like lawsuits over who could use a, a pit bull or an American pit bull terrier as their mascot in their iconography. So it's just interesting this fall from grace. But fortunately, we have people that are that are willing to kind of die on that hill, so to speak, and say like, no, it's just a dog. Like nothing changed. We changed. And we're the ones that villainize these dogs. And if they're like, oh, they're used for dog fighting. Well, that's because we tried to monetize and commoditize these right. animals, but they're just the same as everybody else. So like they're, they're victims of human circumstance, like a lot of things. Um, and it's, I try not to get on the soapbox too much, but we kind of went down that rabbit hole. <laughs> but I, you know, I think it's perfect. So we're doing, we formed a team to do the sit up for pups uh, for this oh, month. It's really, really, really exciting. I'm pumped up to do that. <laughs> and one of one of the things we were talking about was this idea of co-regulation. So mental health and, and you know, co-regulating with animals and, and dogs is one dogs are one of those animals that you can co-regulate with. And I think just speaking on your point, um, it can go both ways. Right. So if if we're having troubles, dogs can kind of help us get back to an even killing kind of break out and comfort animals and things of that nature, even non-therapeutic dogs, just dogs in general can help mm -hmm. with that. And then vice versa. Sometimes if, if they're having trouble, like that connection with a human can be helpful, but the dark side of that is exactly what you're talking about. We condition their response to so much. And so in doing mental health work, we talk a lot, about trauma reactions. And if you look at wild animals, you know, they don't really have trauma reactions because they have a way to process um, those intense interactions. The, the one caveat is, is when an animal spends so much time around humans, it starts to take on those features too. And so we don't see dogs being able to have that trauma reaction response as much because they've been conditioned to respond the way, <laughs> the way that we've kind of responded throughout life so it's a very inter interesting dichotomy of like give and get and how we affect each other and I, I think that's a great point into the work you're doing but just in general when we're talking about you know 
being in a dark place and how powerful that bond and connection can be. Yeah, a hundred percent. Actually, I've read some research the other day that talks about because um, we have another initiative next month called Sit Rep, which we run with our friends at VetWad. And that's, again, we, we use functional fitness to raise money for organizations that pair therapy dogs or service animals with veterans at no cost to the veteran, usually shelter nice. dogs. That's kind of our purview. And I think it was Kraus. It's on our website. I think it was Kraus et al. I want to say 2017. It's on like stats and resources. They mm -hmm. found that there was an obvious mental health boost it was it was better for mental wellness when they have service dogs because if a veteran or somebody with ptsd tdi any type of of unseen injuries having an issue the non-judgmental demeanor of a dog and an inherent understanding of them helps them cope and heal because they don't feel like they're you know they have to put up this front for this animal um and then conversely to your point that dichotomy of intense loyalty it's a little th this is a very interesting point that i that i read the other day canis lupus familiaris the domestic dog is the only animal in the entire record that will knowingly sacrifice itself for its owner like no no other animal will do that and i think their loyalty is ultimately their undoing when it comes to dog fighting or something right. like that but in a way i think that's kind of representative and we share that with or a lot of people share that with toxic relationships where they're so loyal to a single person that they keep going back to them and they don't know how to set boundaries or how to put up barriers or how to say enough is enough because they feel this intense loyalty so i just think that kind of ties into your point as well when it comes to the mental health aspect of it and it's kind of cliche where we can learn from them but it really is true like I mean, how many dogs have we seen? And Caitlin, you probably see this all the time. Dogs, dogs that have been hurt or abuse cases, but they end up just forgetting about it or getting over it and becoming wonderful, wonderful pets and wonderful companions. And it's something where we can take a page out of their book, I think, as humans. Like, I mean, yeah, scars are always going to be there, but there's also some healing and letting things go. And they live in the moment. I mean, they'll be, they'll get hurt one second. The next day, it's totally fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I use this meme in when because I teach mindfulness to a lot of people. And when I'm presenting on mindfulness, there's this meme that I, I like to put in slides. And it's, you may have seen it. It's an owner walking with a pet in the park. It's talking about mindfulness. And the owner has like all these conditions they're thinking about and all these steps. And the dog's just thinking about the park, being in the park and being in that moment. And I think it's a, a funny image, but it's very powerful and true of, of how we can learn to be in that moment and practice mindfulness by that association and that connection with that animal. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you wrote a mindfulness just because this is kind of off topic, but like meditation is probably the single best thing I started doing. I started doing it about a, a year and a half ago and it really just, it rewires your brain, man. It changes your perspective. Yeah. Like I couldn't tell enough people. And then especially when the pandemic happens, Everybody that was either in my cohort in grad school that was stressed out, I was like, you need to meditate. Like, even if it's five minutes a day, it just helps you turn down the volume knob on whatever internal dialogue you have going on. And it, it's a great tool because it really does. And the science behind it, I mean, you know, it, it rewires your brain the way you think. And I try and do that where I try and put this thing down when I'm out with the dogs and then just be on the trail with them or like listen to the leaves crunching under my feet. And it's hard, man, because we're getting pulled in a thousand different directions now. And from like a neurological point of view, I don't think we're supposed to have this much access to this much information. No. So like we haven't caught up evolutionarily. It's, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a mindfulness. I, I'm just going to say two points, man, because mindfulness is, uh, is very important. And the more I talk to people about it, I'm like, if there's one thing you do, if you like exercising is too much, just download Headspace or Calm or something five minutes a day. I was like, work up to 20. It's hard. It's called, it's called practice. But a mindfulness practice will make everything better. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's and it came in handy too, man, because uh, when the pandemic happens, I know a, yeah. lot, like a lot of people, a lot of things happen to a lot of people, but I credit meditation is a way of kind of like centering myself. We'll get a little personal. I found out my wife was pregnant. And then two months later, there was a massive reorg at my company and I got laid off and I was in grad school about to defend my thesis. And I just kept at it. And I found the job like three months later, but it was like the most stressful time. Right. Of like, right. I got a baby everything just hit at the same yeah. time. Yeah. And if sure. I just kind of, I already, oh, like when I, when I got the news, I said to, to HR and my boss, I was like, well, smooth seas never made a skilled sailor. You know, what are the details? What's my last date? what's the deal? And they're like, you're taking this very well. I'm like, what, the only thing you control is how you react to situations. But Victor Frankl say that? I'm like, I could stay at my feet, but that doesn't change the reality. And there's a global pandemic. Like this sucks. Personally, this is the best, the worst time. I mean, I'm going to be a father soon. Like this is not how I want to start it. But I ended up getting a job a couple months later. And then I just resigned from my former job to take on another one that starts in two weeks. So if anybody's going through a similar situation that's listening to this, just Keep your foot on the gas. And what, I mean, what matters most is how well you walk through the fire. So just keep moving. Like, and mindfulness is something I tell everybody, like, even if it's five minutes a day, like you have five minutes a day to scroll through Instagram, you have five minutes a day to just shut everything down and follow your breath. Uh, rant over. Welcome to my test. <laughs> I literally just had that conversation with a client the other day. They were saying, oh, I can't, I can't fit this in. And I told them to put that, that, uh, time monitoring thing on their phone just to see how much time they actually spend on the phone and then cut away from that. And they, they got back to me and said, like, Oh, wow. I didn't realize I spent almost five hours on my phone a day. I said, well, 10 minutes is nothing. You can chop that off. Just yeah, do it right when you wake up. You well, know, we, hear you all time fitness. we hear all the time with fitness. Like, Oh, I have 30 minutes to work out. How many Netflix shows did you watch last night? Like what really got me was uh, Sam Harris's podcast. He said something like, he was talking to somebody because he's a huge proponent of, of meditation. He was like, you know, 100 years ago, exercising physically was like sideshow strongman stuff. Like nobody would lift a barbell overhead 100 years ago. Like that was crazy. He's like, I hope 100 years from now, we're going to realize like you need to exercise your mind the same way. And that like just made so much sense to me logically. I was like, that's unassailable. All right, I'll try this. And it's hard. Like, you know, when you first start, it's hard. But then you get into it where I'll just drop into a state and next thing I know a timer goes off. I'm like, that was 15 minutes. I oh, feel great. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how, how quick it can come. And it, you're right. It's a discipline, right? Like the, the act is you have to work at it. So just like any other skill building that you're doing, you know, you have to practice it to me, even if it's a small amount. You know, if I just do five pull-ups a day and I kind of keep banging those out and then keep going a little bit longer by the end of however long I'm going to, progress and that's the same thing with with mindfulness or meditation or anything really it's just spending time in that moment and building that tolerance to those moments is really especially like you're saying for the pandemic has been a life changer for so many people because all of this has been about not being in control and what's one thing you can do to build tolerance is to sit you know yeah. or lay yeah. or stand however you want to practice it yeah, whatever the case is, just find your place and go with it. But yeah, man, definitely very important. Very important. I'm going to try to bring it back to the dogs for a second because yeah, as, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. This, this pertains and I'm glad you mentioned it because meditation is something that I've always wanted to get into. And as Steve knows, I struggle with it a lot. It's hard. And so one thing that has helped me and bringing it back to the dog point of view. So I work my 
my uh, veterinary job, I work 12 hour shifts and I come home, compassion, fatigue, everywhere. And so I used to come in and my dogs would greet me and I'm just like concentrating on putting my stuff down and like trying to relax. And then I would look at them and I'm like, what am I doing? You're so excited to see me. Like, this is awful. I've been around animals all day. I'm not even treating you like you should be treated. So something that I try to practice to get more into the meditation part of thing is mindfulness with my dogs when I get home. So now I come home, I'm stressed out, I'm tired. I've seen people lose their loved one, or, yeah, loved ones all day long. I've helped sick animals that don't make it. It's just a lot. And so I come home and I put my stuff down. I immediately greet my animals and I sit on the floor with them. I don't even take my shoes off and I'm petting them and I'm just focusing on them. And just that aspect of mindfulness like this it, it's helped me so much and it's helped them too because they see me come home and I'm excited to see them and I sit with them and at the same time my mind and my body relaxes and it just sets the whole tone so the mindfulness around my animals has helped me to be I'm still working on it my meditation is not great but <laughs> to be better though. at the meditating aspect by itself small steps you know I think that's fantastic and what you're doing too and what we've seen in science with, with this stuff too, is that you can actually get close to matching heartbeats with your pets. And that kind of vagal toning of relaxation and connection and compassion for something else is really generative to you as well. It puts you on like the highest level of the nervous system, and the parasympathetic response. And I think that's awesome that you're doing that because we so often see things, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling away from the dogs again, but whatever, we'll come back around. Uh, we so often things, see things that are generative to us and we don't seize that moment because we're in this like stormy haze of what's going on. And so we pull away from it and maybe go to the easier distractions like TV. But that is, that's the shit right there is to come back to those moments and be in those moments and and really regulate in that way. So that's awesome that you're doing it. And I know you put yourself down on meditation a lot because we've, <laughs> we've talked a lot about it, but that's what it is. People don't understand. It's like, you know, it's different for each person. If you seize those moments, you're doing a form of meditation and you're, you're helping yourself kind of pull towards that direction. Yeah. I mean, and to your point, Caitlin, that's a, uh... You're, you're going at it from a different direction, but like what I got from meditation was that mindfulness where I would realize from meditation being detached and just kind of witnessing my thoughts and my consciousness. And I'd be on my phone and like Slater be pawing at me like, hey man, let's hang out. And be like, what are you? But because of meditation, I was like, you're here. Like this, this thing, this doesn't matter. My phone doesn't matter. That'll be there. The emails will be there. You're here. I'm with you right now. So it's just interesting that we're getting to the same top of the mountain. We're just following different paths. Um, yeah, that's definitely, I mean, it's true. And they definitely, uh, they've done research. Who was it? Gregory Burke at Emory has kind of proven that dogs love us. Like they have an oxytocin response as well as we do when we pet them. Um, so there is that definite symbiotic relationship. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're like venom kid. i got a lot of thoughts now we can go out of directions but i want to let you kind of drive steve and, and, and see where we're going no i mean i i think you're right um so much so much of that is important to, to kind of touch touch upon i of, often think of meditation as like 
this charging of the battery so that you can utilize mindfulness throughout your day, right? You can still access it, but maybe your battery may not be fully charged, but it's almost like powering up to use mindfulness to go to Super Saiyan, you know, <laughs> you know? so you can have that foresight as you navigate um, situations and, and kind of go forward from that. So I want to get back to a couple of questions I have. You had, you had mentioned your um, master's program. Do you mind kind of sharing what, what that was, uh, what your focus was on that? And does it relate to um, Barbells for Bullies? Sure. So my master's, um, interestingly enough, it, it does, my thesis does relate to Barbells for Bullies, but that was mainly because I kind of backed into it and saw a hole in the research. So my master's is in mass comm, but specifically brand psychology and consumer heuristics. I work in advertising full-time. That's my, that's my day job. Um, and I got a fellowship for my research, which was associated with the Rock Your Balls Up campaign and specifically with message framing. And my nonprofit, like we're, how, how do I put this? For my thesis, it was essentially how can we create better nonprofit stakeholders, specifically for fitness-oriented nonprofits? Because there's a ton of research on charity-related sporting events, nonprofit involvements, and uh, other aspects of that. But considering how niched something like leveraging fitness for a social good is, I wanted to examine that. There's also kind of a hole in a psychological theory, self-determination theory by DC and Ryan, where essentially it's a framework built on um, autonomy, mastery, and community, which are obviously very salient to something like CrossFit, because I think that checks all those boxes. There's a mini theory within that that nobody's done any research on. So I wrote my thesis and did exploratory research with several nonprofits in the fitness space. So it wasn't directly related to Barbells for Bullies, but ultimately what I would like to do down the line is kind of take the acumen I have from working in the advertising space and essentially getting people to buy more widgets and leveraging that to get people more involved with particular social causes that I find interesting or find, you know, useful. Uh, not me personally, but just in general, I think the world needs more of because when there's 38,000-ish nonprofits in, in the country, um, you're really, it's, it's an attention economy where you're kind of vying for like, you know, I, you can probably rattle off different dog-related charities or different cancer-related charities. So it's really, you're looking for mindshare and how can you create super supporters and stakeholders that resonate with your mission and want to take it upon themselves to go out and preach your gospel. And that's really what my thesis was centered around. But a lot of my research was in that framework and I did a ton of... Uh, independent studies and I have maybe three papers I'm working on publishing now, but I just defended my thesis a month ago and I'm kind of taking, and my wife's urging just kind of stepping back. <laughs> Take some time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a chronic child seeker and I have this, it's a horrible character flaw where I, if I get something or I accomplish something, I go, what's next? Like I take no time to enjoy it. Um, that's something I'm actively working on. Like, just to be transparent, like I, I have this horrible habit of like get like winning something, getting something, closing like closing a deal or, or, get, or finishing my master's and being like, OK, great. Now, what can I go pile on to myself and having my daughter now um, being a new dad? It's definitely helpful for me to realize like you, you sometimes it's OK just to sit on the couch with her like and, and watch Sesame Street. You don't need to, to be researching anything or trying to change the world. You can just be here because she needs you. Uh, so yeah, that was, that's what my master's is on. Um, I really like wrote my own program in a way. Uh, and I wanted to tie it back because we were talking about meditation and, you know, it doesn't have to be just sitting there. I fell down this rabbit hole about flow states and the work of Chick Set Me High and 
all of that stuff. And that's definitely something that a lot of people don't realize that they might be meditating without meditating. Like, you know, uh, in my free time, the, the limited amount I have, I like to do a little bit of woodworking. I realized like, I'm in a flow state when I'm doing this. Like I'll be working on something for three hours trying to get, you know, the grain on it just right or get everything set up. And next thing I know, it's it, the sun's going down. So I think a lot of people don't realize that you can meditate without meditating. And sometimes it's fitness. You can get in that zone of, you'd be on the rower and be like, oh, 45 minutes went by. That felt like nothing. Again, digressed. That's my master. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to convince my wife to let me build a forge. Uh, so I, so I can, I've been watching a lot of forged and fire lately. So I've, so I've been really like pulled to it. I was like, oh, I want to start making stuff. Um, it's, it's not going well right now. I, I don't think I'm going to win this battle, but we'll see. Maybe That's one so day funny because my, my wife has said to me, like, I could see you doing this. I was like, I have enough hobbies, like, but I could definitely see that. Like when we buy a bigger house, she's going to come home and there's going to be like a forge in the garage. She's like, what is this? I'd be like, don't worry about it. I literally was yelling at the screen the other day. Um, I was like, don't quench again. Stop quenching. Why are you making it brittle? That's how you get cold shunts. What are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You put my thumbnail in there. Come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It will kill. Um, but so this kind of segues into to some of the questions. I think, you know, we've, we've gotten a, to know you a lot better through this process. And I, this segues to our two major questions we always end the podcast with and that I think are, are really important. So the first, because we're both huge geeks, um, comic book geeks specifically, the first question is, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? And then the second in tandem with that is, what do you think your real life superpower is? That's a good question. And I thought about this a little bit. Um, I'm not, I would say like, I know everybody would say like they want to be Superman or have like, you know, the God mode kind of, mm -hmm. I, I think teleportation would be the coolest um, superpower person like Nightcrawler. I think he's the man he gets yeah, he, he gets slept on so much but i right? love that crawler well, like if you could if you've been someplace and you could just zap back there i think that would be super cool i feel like anything like mind reading that would just be a nightmare like being able to read everybody's thoughts because i mean talk about mindfulness it's hard to turn down the, the volume on your own brain imagine hearing everybody's yeah. um so night crawlers I, like that teleportation i think would be the coolest superpower to have that because you get around you know the the rigmarole the airport and renting a car and just like, hey, I want to go to Bali. Boom, look up a picture on the internet and you're there. Yeah, that's great. I like that. And then what would you say your superpower is? So I thought about this one too. Um, and I was, I, was, I was chatting with my wife about it. And I'm like, I what do you think? And she's called me this in, in a good way. She's like, you're relentless. I think once I get an idea in my head, like I don't back down like i'll just see it through but also i think my grace under pressure like i'll step back like i talked about after like, accomplishing something and be like like the last two years i carried a full course load nine credits in grad school research for that an assistantship a fellowship and a full-time job and ran barbells and i looked back and i was like i should have my head examined but I didn't, I just did it. And I think that that's something where I, I focus, I'm the type of person I focus under pressure. So that's probably my superpower. Like the more pressure, the more stress I put myself under, the better I can perform. But I realize it's also not good mentally. 
because it's just a lot of undue stress and life is too short to be like, oh yeah, I did all these things, but I didn't stop and enjoy them. So that's my superpower slash super weakness, I think, is the ability to take on a lot of tasks and stay calm. Kaylin, you got any more questions for Alex? Well, I just wanted to make a comment. I haven't heard, Steve always says, I love that constantly on the podcast. I haven't heard it once. And I think it's just because I'm here. He's probably his (laughs) reference. I think I'm pretty sure I said it in the very beginning and I thought you were going to say something. And I was like, okay, as long as as you did have a question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, is that your vocal fingerprint? I love that. Like that's just something you always come back to. Yeah. I worked. She she makes, she makes fun of me all the time for it, but it's kind of, it's true. It's hard talking to people and, and having this kind of dialogue and not, if I feel connected to it, saying that, because I think it's so important to get that message. It used to be like or ug, but um, but now I think it's ug. Ug, <laughs> ug I don't like talking to you. Yeah, I, I hear you. I used to, in another life, I worked in radio for like six years when I was in college, and then briefly I worked for Sirius XM. So there was a lot of on-air stuff and like being like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And so I, I feel your pain of, man, I always go back to that word. I use the word robust too much, or like I always say this. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's a hard habit to break because- yeah, for it, sure. Like the research shows a vocal fingerprint. It's something you fall back to because that's the way that's your lexicon. As long as you're I think aware. it's not a bad one though. No, no. No, because you you mean it genuinely when you yeah. say it. That I mean, every podcast you're on, you just get so excited about it. And so it's genuine. It's just when I listen to on that. We I just like to out. make fun of <laughs> fun of me. That's no, um, but I did have some questions. Um, I was wondering if you could talk more mainly for our listeners, because me and Steve both have deep dived into your website and chatted, but um, more about how the events work and if any of our listeners wanted to kind of set up an event with you, what would that entail? Oh yeah, 100%. I'm glad you brought that up. So now that kind of the world is reopening, we are doing events again. So we have different levels and really, if it's like I've said, if it's around fitness and community, we want to be a part of it. So we have different tiers. We used to, back in the day of 2016, 2017, it feels like it was eons ago, we used to just do official competitions, we call them, where me and my team, meaning volunteers, primarily me and my wife, would go to your gym and set up everything, and we'll run the event. Then we started doing satellite competitions in 2019, where we take care of all the infrastructure on our end. You just supply the gym and a handful of volunteers, and we take care of scoring, score sheets, sponsors, prizes. Like You just kind of host the competition. We'll help you as much as we can and go from there. And that really helps us maximize our revenue, but also impact because we've run four events in the same day, which is awesome because then we don't have to go anywhere. And I basically sit down with three laptops open and a bunch of coffee and my, and two cell phones on. And if like, they're like, oh, it's not updating or so-and-so doesn't agree with the standards, I can be like, they're posted online, here's the standard. Um, and then that we're start, we're doing community workouts where if they just want to have a gym or organize, like say they have just a bunch of, of fit friends that want to get together, organize a community workout. You could say like, Hey, it's 10 bucks, 20 bucks and donate to a local rescue, or we're open to other ideas. So some gyms have reached out where they're like a, a rowing gym, like a row house, um, where they want to figure out how to integrate that. If it's again, if it's about fitness, we'll work with it. So if somebody wants to get involved, they just email us at host at barbellsforboys.org. We have a deck that kind of gives them the rundown of everything, but we handle it all from the back end. So really, for the most part, they just need 10 volunteers 
and we handle the marketing, the scoring, the infrastructure, all of that. And it can recommend a rescue. We just reserve the right to investigate the rescue because I'm sure you know, Caitlin, there's a lot of people that are just kind of shady. And there's actually <laughs> been a couple rescues that we've passed on. And then like a year or two later, it would turn out like that they were taking in dogs and not helping them or like laundering money or some other sketchiness where I was like, I'm so glad we actually like dove into their website. Like, give me your financials or can you tell me a little bit more about your adoption process? And as a PSA to anybody listening, if, you were, if you're thinking about donating to a nonprofit, look them up on the 501c3 lookup website. You can look into their financials. If you ask us for like our you know, payroll, I'll say it's easy, zero. Like we don't pay ourselves. So all the money we raise, less expenses goes to the cause. Um, but really look into the organizations you're trying to help or you're donating your money to because they should do everything above board. And that's something I think a lot of people, and I didn't get before I really got into the nonprofit space was there's no real like regulating body. Like, yes, it's the IRS, but unless you make millions and millions and millions of dollars, nobody's really looking at your books. So just be a responsible consumer and go on, check them out, ask questions. You know, most rescues or nonprofits will be very open and say, you can look at my books. Like I have nothing to hide or this is our compensation or this is how we, we allocate funds. Um, and that's one thing that we try and do is be very, very transparent with that. And we've had, whenever we do satellite competitions, I'll send them a spreadsheet, be like, this was what we made. These are our expenses. This is what we're donating. There it is. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I started this organization to make a difference, not money. I really haven't taken a salary in five years. And I don't see it getting there anywhere anytime soon just because I have a number in my head. And unless we hit that number, I'm not going to take a salary because that whatever I take, I'm like, we could have saved X amount of dogs with that. Um, yeah. yeah. So long, another long-winded way of saying, if you want to host an event, email us at host at barbellsforbullies.org. And we handle pretty much everything and we're flexible. Like I don't have like a, no, we won't do that. Um, the only thing we don't do is like 5k runs and like walks and stuff. Cause a lot of rescues do that. And that's just a very inclusive way of getting the community involved. We, we handle the more like, you know, weightlifty, you know, crazy, crazy stuff. That's what we like to do. Or like, you know, a ruck your balls off event. And that's just about getting people out and active. I know I'm, just super loquacious. I apologize. <laughs> That's awesome. Anything well, else? Alex, any last thoughts you want to uh, kind of put out for our listeners to think about or ponder or pay attention to before we sign off? Uh, not I mean, my only last thought, I mean, I got a lot of thoughts, but we only have so much time. My only last thought would just be, if you're thinking about getting involved in anything in the rescue community um, and you don't think you can make a dent, I assure you, you can. So foster, adopt, volunteer, advocate, educate, even if it's going down to a rescue and walking dogs, if it's fostering, whatever the case is, if you want to make a difference, do it. If it's not animal related, if there's a cause that you are passionate about, get involved. You can make a difference because, I mean, I, I started this organization just on a whim and it ended up turning into something that has donated a lot of money. And if you don't donate time, your attention, your resources, your love, that's, that's enough. So if there's anything you're passionate about and you're listening to this, go do that. And then on a secondary note, mindfulness. If, you, if you're thinking about meditating, you need to work out your brain just like you need to work out your body. Trust me. I thought it was, I thought it was kind of, you know, like hippie woo-woo stuff. And then I tried it and I was like, this completely changed the way my brain works. Um, yeah. So huge, huge advocate of that. Those are my two takeaways. I love awesome. that. Oh, we got her to say it. 
He said yes. it. <laughs> well, Alex, we're so honored to have you on. It's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit more and, and talk about your passions and drive. And we're so excited to continue to do the sit-ups for this month and raise funds and awareness and push ourselves um, beyond our limits as well. So <laughs> Potentially have an event in the future. Oh, yeah. I was thinking we'll have to talk about it. Yeah, we could talk about that. But thank you guys both for your time, for your insight, for your work, and also for the opportunity. I'm, I'm still kind of humbled whenever people are like, hey, you want to come on our podcast? I'm like, sure, I guess I can talk, um, probably. Um, but yeah, thank you, uh, truly. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at thepromethianproject.org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean Project or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at thepromethianproject.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, like our posts on social media on Instagram and on Facebook. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.